0: What does Motion sound like? With Kizikans free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of Motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com/socks.
1: Hi, it's Dan. This episode's a little different. Usually we do three, five-minute or so segments. In the first one, we talk about um, our overall impression of the movie. In the second one, we talk about a key line or a key moment. And in the third one, we talk about the title or the ending. Well, for this one, the episode on Cold War, the third segment ended up taking 15 minutes all by itself because Mike and I got into this big argument about what happens at the end of the movie and what it means. So um, if you only have 15 minutes and you want to go right to the ending, that's fine. If you haven't seen the film, obviously don't listen to this first because we're going to spoil the ending. But we just wanted to give you fair warning that uh, we are going to go back to our 15-minute formula. But in this case, we just, um, we just couldn't cut it because we thought the argument was a lot of fun to have. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. Welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics, a podcast where two friends watch movies separately and then sit down and have conversations about them for the first time. So today we're going to be talking about um, Pavel Pavlikowski's Cold War, a film that came out in 2018. It recently popped up on Amazon and a lot of streaming services. We both saw it, but we have not yet spoken about it yet. Um, I loved it. I know you loved it, Mike, right? I did. Absolutely. All right, great. So let's start with our first segment. We always talk about big takeaways or overall impressions. Go.
0: Sure, so just to mention another service that released the film, it was released by Criterion in two thousand and eighteen, which I thought was extremely fitting because I thought the film was very much a celebration of the image uh, and of films so yes. i I was not the only person I think to pick up on homages to Ingmar Bergman um the obvious anachronism of shooting the film in black and white of a, a more old fashioned uh, aspect ratio for the film, which right. uh, one commentator i can 't remember who wrote literally does not allow the two of them to leave the frame. You know, they're, they're bound by that, that four, three ratio to, to one another. And it's kind of a smaller window. That's, that's continually focused on the two of them. I thought that that was a brilliant insight. Yeah. Not, and it's not beautiful my, black and white too. It's, it's totally evocative. It is. I, I think the reason why too, is that shooting in black and white that way allows plays with focus um, in focus, out of focus. And one notable moment is, when Zula is sitting in the middle of the other singers, everybody else's face to the right. Um, all, the entire audience behind her is slightly out of focus. Everybody's face a different way. And she's just face dead on, uh, yep. you know, staring at Victor with her hand resting on her chin. And there's, there's certain posed images like that. It, I think the shape and the structure look almost like an icon, like what you yeah. see at the beginning and the end on the wall in church. And so there's a play with structured images which are not naturalistic, they're not realistic. Uh, but god do they work and they're beautiful he wants
1: to he wants to constantly remind you that he's that he's controlling what images you see i mean other directors try to hide their presence but he wants you to know at every moment you're watching it um that's funny what you said about that moment because that reminded me of the great moment in strangers on the strangers on a train (laughs) during the tennis match when everyone looks one way except for except for the one guy, um, my, my take on it, it's funny. You mentioned like, um, like older films and what that aspect ratio makes you think about, you know, I thought it was about, I mean, it evokes Casablanca in a lot of ironic ways, I think, um, intentionally or unintentionally, but I thought it was, I thought that was interesting was you said the word bound and they are certainly bound to each other, but they're also, they're also bound by, you know, um, the, the, the politics of what's going on in the different countries that they, that they, that they flee to. Sometimes they flee each other. And it made me think about how, you know, a when you fall in love, it's like you enter a new country, like a couple creates its own world. And, and that's what we see as they jump around the, the jump around Europe, but it's also a world that he tries to govern. Like he thinks he can control that world, but he can't.
0: No, a- a- absolutely. He is in thinking that he can corral her. He is himself corralled 100% <laughs> right. by that relationship.
1: So um, what did you make of that? Let me ask you this question. What did you make of their relationship? Like, did you at any point think to yourself, well, why can't they just be together? Like that was fascinating for me.
0: I think the reason is because there's a lot of music metaphors in this film and a lot of people have said that the music is part of what makes it work. I think Pawlikowski said that somewhere himself that he's able to transfer from the folk songs to the big stage numbers to the sumptuous jazz you know and and beyond to the big band Uh, but I think that the reason that they can't make it work is because Zula is a a soloist You know, (laughs) there's that that scene where she's uh, auditioning with the other girl and she wants to pick up on her song and she uses that to kind of get in the door. Yeah. And then she comes she, she the take, audition. Yeah. Th- that's right. And she takes over and the, the other person is her name, Irina. What's her name? Irina, yeah, Irina, 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 you know, tells her, okay, that's enough. You know, like she's right. like, she's a contestant on American Idol. Um, right. And she says, no, 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 here's the chorus. And she does yeah. the same thing. She does the right. same thing with Victor. The first time they're rehearsing, you know, and, and, and he makes a... some offhand comment and she says, you know, are you interested in me for my singing or are you interested in me generally? And I think she <laughs> sets the tone right away. And I think the answer is the both because in that
1: scene where she auditions, you know he's done. I mean, he's looking at her and he's, he's done. And um, Irene even kind of like smiles because he says, no, oh, I think she had a certain something that he can't articulate. And it's funny because the, the movie, they're so inarticulate. Like he can't really articulate what he sees about her. That's so fascinating. And she can't articulate why she stands him up. And you said about the music carrying things around. I mean, there's, there's all these echoes from the lyrics. But one lyric that really struck me was when um, she sings, is this a God-given love or one inspired by the devil? And I think that's a big question the movie asks. Like, is this, are we watching, a, a, exactly, a God-given love or one inspired by the devil?
0: Yeah, well, you're exactly right. Because the lyric that I wrote down in my notebook is, heart, you do not love peace. Right, right.
1: And she does not love peace.
0: Well, neither okay, does I'll mine, see- yeah. Yeah, I'm drawn, well, drawn okay. into this, mo- you know, drawn into this movie, into their relationship. And I think yes. anybody that else that's carried away, it's, it's hard to be judgmental in that way when you're carried away on the tide of, of what's going on between the two of them. Fair enough. OK, we'll see you in segment. We'll keep two. it rolling. Welcome back. So in the second segment, we like to talk about key scenes or big moments that are illustrative of the themes of the film. Dan, I know that you had one that you want to start with. Absolutely. So mine was in um in one of the
1: Paris scenes, 1954 in Paris, and it's the moment where she runs into him. And before I said Casablanca, you know, was evoked in this film. So we get the uh, of all the gin joints in all the world. She walks into mine. She sees him. And then she says, um, you know, are you happy? And they have this conversation. And he says to her, you know, what happened? Like, why did you stand me up that time in East Berlin? And she says things like, well, I felt it wouldn't work. Uh, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't up to it. And those reasons, those excuses don't strike me. Well, I guess it's funny that I said excuses. Those excuses don't strike me as good enough. I don't think they really articulate why she didn't show up. You said before she's a soloist. I guess that's it. At the moment, she decided to dance with that stiff German. Um, But I think that my moment for the film that I think is so great is when um, they give the awkward hug goodbye. And she walks halfway down the street and runs back to him and they start kissing. Because I think that's what the whole movie is, is, is about is that they have this magnetism and they can't even explain what's going on and and if you ask Victor why are you in love with her because Victor's ready to like settle down, you get the sense of she's the wild card, she's the live wire and he would say, "I don't know." and so she runs back to him because you know that she's going to run back to him and that's what makes me think like they, they, no matter how much they try to avoid it, they're going to just keep over.
0: And that's what the movie is. It's a series of those. Scenes. Yeah. I, well, I think he's wild in another way, right? Because he, he crosses back across the border, and it. I, I thought one fun thing is before the the wall was built, you know, the movie really illustrates how easy it is,
1: yeah, uh, East Germany
0: to West Germany, yeah, and, and why you shouldn't cross back because he surrenders himself, right. and he's you know the other thing that he surrenders is that there's a lot of great shots of him peacefully playing music, enjoying or losing yeah. himself uh, in music. And he surrenders it because he he loses the ability to play when he's tortured. And yeah,
1: he he gives it up. But she says she's. I'm sorry. She says later on, like in I think it's Paris 57. She says, "Oh, I did it for us." And then she says, "Well, I got married to the Italian because I did it for us." But so I think all of her reasons are very inarticulate about why she. And I don't think she. Maybe she doesn't really know. Well, that was for the D's. Um, or if she that's knows what she
0: meant is is to get back. Yeah, to that's the, right. That's right. You yeah, know. But in, in right. A, so what was your moment? Sure. Your moment? So so my moment was. Uh, after they're together in Paris, they finally escape to the West and it looks like they they can be together. And there's just, they kind of hit the worm in the apple, you know, which is that they they can't coexist for whatever reason. You you know, you can imagine a character like Victor, you know, holding a baby or playing or, or living some kind of domestic life. Yeah. And I, I think that there's something in Zula that just has not given up on the world yet. And it's, you know, you'll notice, we'll get to this in the ending, that it's, it's only when she's exhausted all the possibilities of the world that she says, it's get me out of here. It's time to get me out of here. So, so my Uh moment is when they're walking together in Paris and he presents her with the album and he says, our baby. And she, you know, she, you know, she's right. And she tosses it away. And then she starts to taunt him and he slaps her in the face. But her reaction to it, you know, is not to cry or taunt him back or to say something. The scene does not go on. She looks at him, dead on exactly like that first scene where they're, you know, looking at each other across the room that I mentioned before. And she says, now we're talking because there's, there's something about a passion or an intensity about their relationship together, which I think makes everything else dull. In other words, when he trades real music, the ability to make jazz, you know, for her, it's because he's heard a different kind of music. And it's, it's the only thing that the two of them can really can really listen to. And I think that he's in a lot of denial about that. Right. I think part of it is that she's jealous of the album in a way she's jealous of his life in Paris. She's jealous of his music. Uh, She's jealous of his poetry. She's jealous of his poet metaphor. Yeah. Metaphor Uh, metaphor.
1: I mean, that's what she's also, she is a bundle of insecurities. Yes. Well, I, I mean, she's about with her with her booze and her and her her jealousy and when she how about when she humiliates him by by singing rock around the clock?
0: Well, Victor wouldn't have hit her unless he was insecure either. So, you know, but that's true. I I think I think it's I think it's both of them, but they're continually drawn back into the music of their of their relationship together versus the music of the world until the the music of the world is totally exhausted. And then they they want to live in one moment forever.
1: And they try to bargain with the world, right? That's what I think. Um, that's what I think Kasmarek is doing in the movie. Like he is the world, he's the world. Of, like they try to negotiate with that world? My favorite. But they can't do
0: it. You're exactly right. My favorite scene of uh, Kasmirik uh, being the world and being the most quotidian villain, maybe of all time, maybe in movie <laughs> history, is um, when uh, Victor and Irina are listening uh, to the two peasants in the one room, and the camera, without uh, cutting, pans to the right so that you can see in the kind of in the foyer into the dining. Where he uh, he's sipping the soup with the old lady. Yes, because uh, he's yes. not. This is he, very good. He is right, he is not in and of the music. He is in and of the soup.
1: Yes, absolutely. And the party. Good. All right. Well, I'll see you in segment three. Got it. We're going to pause here because we just want to tell you something. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. The first point is it's free.
0: Yeah. Second, they have all the tools that you need to create, record, and edit your podcast right on your phone or your laptop.
1: Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other places.
0: You pick up sponsorships, you can make money from your podcast, and there's no minimum listenership.
1: It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Always be closing, Mike. (laughs) Always be
0: closing. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, welcome back. So in the third segment, we like to talk about the title, the ending, really the key takeaways from this film. Dan, I think you had something that you wanted to say about the title.
1: Yeah, I mean, other than it's, it's just catchy, but it's also a perfect metaphor, metaphor, as she would say, for their relationship. I mean, th- th- we don't get to see a hot war except for when he slaps her, but, um, or some of their you know, moments where they're just yelling or something. But generally, I think it's so apt, not just because of the setting of Eastern Europe, but because what's going on in Europe is is mirrored in their relationship, right? And that um, in a Cold War, you have, you have nations that, that simmering, you know, hatred for each other, but it's all underhand and everything is, um, it's obviously not fought with, you know, tanks and missiles and things like that. That's what a Cold War is. And I think that's what we see there. We see a lot of, like, petty jealousy and a lot of, um, you know, glances askance and um, inarticulate reasons to, to justify what they did. And I think that um, until the end, you know, the, the Cold War kind of simmers on until at the end, you know, the, the war's over. What did you make of the end?
0: Sure. So I was really blown away by the ending. I, I have to admit that of all the movies with a twist ending, yeah, this is one of, the, one of those that I didn't see coming. And I think yep. that the reveal is so beautiful. There's so often, even with a good twist, you can wish that the reveal is better. But for them to go back to right. the church to see the eyes again, to see that open dome Looking up above them uh, at the clouds is beautiful, and then the the reveal with the yeah. pills, uh is wonderful. But wasn't it, that horrifying? It was, <laughs> it was horrifying. Um, I thought it was interesting going back to our point before how she officiates her own wedding. Um, though I, I thought that, yes. that was wonderful, and then well, you know, she I says think, the ones
1: that the Italian didn't count. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I think that the the ending when the two of them are on the park bench, and finally they've you know right. they they've died, um, you know they they Waiting die in the die. church. And then they're on the the park bench together looking out over the scene. And then she says, you know, let's let's cross over to the other side. The view will will be better from there. And I think that it's a, a moment of serenity and peace that's really unlike any other moment you get. You know, I think the closest you get is when he's holding her in the bathroom, you know, and it's you get the sense that it's dirty and that she's just thrown up and probably not the only person who's thrown up and he's holding her. And he looks like it's the most privileged, quiet moment of his life you know to just to you know to just <laughs> yeah. run against the wall with her and then they I, I get the sense that they have finally made their escape that's my takeaway is that we're, we're meant to understand that the two of them will get to be together uh, after the church and the pills um and we get to see a moment of their peace before they kind of walk walk out of frame from us
1: well let me i got a clarifying question about that but let me first go back a little bit sure i mean i think what you said about the church is great because i think um you know as before we said about the the geography of Europe mirroring the geography of their relationship is that the world closes in on them. Like Kazmarek closes in on them, right? He goes back and gets thrown into prison and then she gets him out. And then she's in another prison of her terrible life and like married to Kazmarek and with that stupid wig on. And then she says, get me out of here. So they keep wanting to flee, right? They keep wanting to, to escape and cross a border to get somewhere else. And I think that the suicide, the first time you see the movie, it's so shocking but then when you watch it again, as I did, and I know you did, um, you start to look back and the whole thing is like, well, this is a story about a doomed love, and this, we know how it ends. Now, what leads up to that ending? And so um, I think the suicide is, is romanticized, but I still think it makes sense. Um, but what did you mean? Like, they don't, they're, they're on the bench waiting to die.
0: No, so my, my take is that they've died in the church, and then they are, they are on the bench together, that that, that, that is meant to be non, non-diegetic.
1: What what do you mean? why do why we, what was what would be gained for the viewer? So we're we're watching them like in their moment. Why can't they be having their moment of peace, sitting there waiting to die? I mean, I don't know how long the poison takes. Yeah, I mean, I, this this is not
0: you know this is not a point about um, pharmacology or anything like that, or you know, <laughs> how long how long poison takes to kick in. Uh, I'm not right. that I'm not that guy. Um, right. But I so there, there's a couple of moments in the film uh, that. I think, boy, the film and don't allow the viewer to not understand that they're that that, that they are actually going to be at peace forever and ever. So I have, I have two points and I'll, I'll walk into it. The one is of which is, like I said in the beginning, that this film is really in love with the image. There's a there's a scene where uh, Zula is there with a couple of other girls during the auditions that when she's finally been chosen and right. the windows open and they're just listening to a thunderstorm. And you think that this is some kind of mise-en-scene for a conversation, but it's not mise-en-scene. It is the point. And and there's moments of beautiful, lush imagery that don't really make any sense except that they are wonderful and beautiful. And I think that they're meant to buoy the film against the grimness and bleakness of that vision. So I think that there's an understanding there between the director and the viewer, uh, at least this viewer and the characters that when she says now i'm yours forever that that is meant to be taken literally and so the the question is is that true or are they both going to start you know uh, vomiting vomiting and pass out
1: well we're not going to we don't want it would be crushing to the viewer to see them vomit and pass out we've been on this journey with them together but we don't i don't what's to be gained by by why can't it be that they they take the pills they walk outside they sit down and and that's it's horrifying because they're waiting to die, and they know they're going to die, but they're enjoying their moment. They do have that moment of peace in the world, and she says, "Let's go to the other side." I mean, they're, they're about to cross over to the big other side.
0: Well, I, I guess my sense is that they've that they've lingered dead in that place, and that they are about to cross over to the other side, and they walk out of the right. They walk out of the frame. This is, for me, uh, at least, my impression. Kind of formally, is a movie of quick cuts of, um, uh, you know, of sudden. Of sudden breaks in the actions of blank blank screens of title cards this is really the only naturalistic moment where the two of them w- walk out it's unlike any other kind of human yeah. action that they take you know that they take in the rest of the movie
1: but then what would be gained what what is gained thematically or in terms of the issues by having them by by watching them because, the afterlife and by the afterlife which by the way looks exactly like the bus stop from which they sure got with off, they, but with they no bus and no people well, I mean, they're not going to kill themselves when she's singing the Mexican song. I mean, you know, they get they have to go to a quiet place. They go to the church to get married.
0: Sure. No, listen, I listen. I buy that. What what's to be gained is the question. Uh, is the question is there is there five minutes of peace or is there an eternity of peace? And I think I think that it matters. I think that it matters whether. Or- Why does it matter? I
1: mean, we know we know that they get two minutes or five minutes of peace on the park bench, but I mean. Who, who do we how do we know what happens afterwards because
0: i think it comes down to your definition of doomed i think that this is not about a doomed love i think that this is in its way a story about a successful love and i understand that you think i'm romanticizing it but again i think it's the, <laughs> i think the director has romanticized this and i'm just kind of open to to his impulses fair enough
1: but you think this is a, you think this is a portrait of successful love
0: i didn't say successful did i
1: I thought you just did. We're gonna to have to go back on the tape and look at this. I mean, this, I think that strikes me as kind of like, I used to have this friend who, who would say things like, um, oh, the end of Taxi Driver is a big, it's a big fantasy. It's Travis's fantasy. And the cops really blow him away at the end because they would never stand there and point and not, not shoot him when they saw that. And the whole thing is imagined at the end. And I'm like, that's, it seems too clever by half. Sure. Like, what what, what I... could be more naturalistic than that you're watching this intimate moment where she marries them and then that's it. Like why do we need that why do we need the, 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 the extra like meta twist at the end? What does it do I don't, for the I movie? I don't
0: think it's I don't think it's a meta twist. I think that we're we're with each other up to the point that the movie is very much about <laughs> the algebra of the decision, right? Because they they're not they're not shown leading right. their own lives um, outside of the Correct. outside of the relationship. So the movie right. seems to be asking for the algebra, but I think what's on the other side of the equal sign um, is whether they they make it or not. And I don't think that the movie, you know, quote unquote, leaves it to the viewer to decide. I think, I think <laughs> that the, the answer uh, is, is made clear about, about what's, what is going to happen to them. In other words, I think that your version of the film, your reading of the film leads a, leaves a big question mark about whether they're naive, about whether uh, happiness is even possible yeah. at all. And I think that the, yes. I think that the I, images in the film... don't leave a question mark i think that the way that the film is shot i think that the inclusion of beautiful things like the wind moving through the wheat which is what tells me that that moment links to all those other beautiful sumptuous shots in the movie says that it is possible and so that question mark cannot exist for me
1: but those things are possible on earth i mean go back to what you said about the algebra i mean first of all they go to the undiscovered country like hamlet says they, we don't know what's on the other side, right? But I, if you go back to the algebra, that was a great word, right? The algebra of that decision, right? So you can, you can read Othello knowing what he's going to do at the end and see what's the algebra of his decision to kill himself, right? Or, or Romeo and Juliet or something like that. I think, I think that we don't, like, we don't know, presume to know what happens to Othello after he's gone or Romeo and Juliet, right? I mean-
0: I, am I, I, I guess what or? I'm saying is uh, Romeo and Juliet is set up so that no matter how many times you watch it, you're not okay with it, and I think that this film is set up so that by the second time you watch it, you are okay with it. That's that's a, that's at least my amazed, reading. But I was
1: I was horrified by it even more the second time. The first time I was shocked as a plot twist, but then you watch it again, and everything they do becomes ironic. Everything they do has an asterisk next to it because you know it's leading to their dooms. Because she says that she, when she says in the bathroom, "Get get me out of here," you, you got to get me out of here, and she pulls her wig off that's that's surrender
0: i i they're done they can't live in the. World i take anymore. that bench over the bathroom and i think that they that they do too i think that they've seen they've seen wait, what there is to see i mean what there's no possibility for them to escape
1: wait a minute so you're 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 saying that the, the end is that you're watching them in their ethereal forms or something like at the end based upon the fact that the wheat is the wind is blowing through the wheat
0: yes like and, why the, would and they that, put that more, they walk off frame
1: well, they walk off a frame, but that's, that's hardly, you know, it's hardly evidence that we're watching their
0: ghosts. I mean, what do they need to do? Like walk through a wall or, you know, it's just, <laughs> no, they, they never Casper the nobody ghost or... watch this entire movie. Nobody smiles that the first time that they're the first time that they're alone together in the field, as soon as it looks like they're going to smile or somebody's going to smile, she goes, Hey, by the way, I got to tell you, I'm a communist spy. You right. know? And the,
1: well, she said she was on probation for trying to kill her Exactly.
0: exactly. But, it, you know, it, she, she's a spy for that reason. But, you know, she she is what she is. And then they fight and they have their In- Ingmar Bergman uh, smiles of a summer night moment. But right. it's, it's, right. The, but it's mean, the only time where the two of them are able to, to smile and, and enjoy. And I, I think it's because they have escaped the world.
1: Sad. Right. And that's horrifying. That's horrifying that, that the only time they get to enjoy the world is to sit there as they're waiting to, for it to be over.
0: I, I think it's already over.
1: It, but then what's to be gained from that artistically? I, I, we could be, we're going over our five minutes, but what's to be gained from that artistically if you're the director?
0: I think again, there's nothing, the film, the film doesn't work if there's, a, if there's a question mark and you don't know what's happened to them. I think that the, I think that the images of the film, that the tone of the film, that it's, the, it's form does not match its content. And I think that I'm finding a reading that is explaining the mismatch between the form and the content. This is a a movie where if I read you a plot synopsis, you would be horrified. But if you watched it, you would find many funny moments. You would find many beautiful moments. You would find uh, many sweet moments. And a lot of the sweet moments have to do with what the camera is looking at versus what is actually happening. There are sweet moments when they are making music together, literally. Yes. (laughs)
1: More than figuratively. We don't get to see a lot of their figurative music together. A lot of that is absent from the movie. So I'm sure someone can go on about the chemistry they have and stuff like that. But, but, the, but the, you don't get a lot of that in the movie. You get, you get very selective things about the music that they make together. Um, but certainly I don't think that when I, when I watch it again, it, it was not all sweetness and light. I mean, I, I think that it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a doom love. It's, it's about a guy that enters into this relationship and it's, it's he has no idea what's going to happen to him, but he, it's going to end up ruining both of them.
0: That that church is a ruin, but it's a beautiful ruin, and I guess that that's what the that's my take or or my reading, and where where, where it leads me. I don't know. I don't necessarily know that they find the paradise that's on the walls, or what they're going to find when they get to the other side of the field. Um, but don't I, you think you're
1: romanticizing the suicide? Thing? No, again, I, I think, think that's, I think
0: that... the I think the director is romanticizing the suicide that, it, that that nothing happens to them, the two of them in the bathroom, that they have to go out to this beautiful field um you know that they're that they're married with one another that there's that there's nobody around that it's just dusk you know lit lit by one but lit yeah. by one candle again i i, I think True. that that i think that the romanticizing is written into the bones of the film and literally into it its structure right because again they're they don't they're not allowed to have any lives um outside of one another you know um but victor's lo- you don't
1: permit you don't permit it good okay, sorry don't victor's permit life, what i'm uh, sorry I was like, you don't permit one degree of horror at that? I, I permit shock. You're not horrified? Right, I'm shocked, right, too. But you're not also like, you know, before you said it's, you know, who would, who would ever want to enter into that relationship?
0: I don't know who would ever want to live in uh, Poland under the communists. I think that's part of the, part of the <laughs> point of the film.
1: All right. Well, and she says she didn't want to leave Poland. So she, cause she couldn't speak French. <laughs>
0: he said he tells her she's got a good ear
1: yeah that's right all right well we're gonna have to uh we're gonna have to come back to this maybe we'll do a bonus episode or something like that but uh and we'll keep texting each other about it i guess um but uh i will uh, thanks for listening sure bye Hi, it's Dan, and I just want to thank everybody so far who's listened to the show. We have listeners from all over the United States and actually from all over the world. It's picking up speed. We're really, really grateful for those of you who are listening.
0: If you're listening to this message, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can leave a review. You can suggest possible titles that you'd like us to cover.
1: You could also follow us on Twitter, right? Our handle is at 15 minute film. That's at one five M I N film. And you could also support the show by making a small monthly donation through anchor. And the way that works is that um, when we get enough money we'll start buying new equipment. We'll do everything we can to give you the best experience.
0: If you're willing to donate, we will call you and we will leave a recorded message on your voicemail or wherever you like in any of the silly characters we've done on the show, including Bane, Sean Connery, any others? Any others that come up today? Dan, Marlon Brando.
1: I, I, I will leave you a voicemail that will be the greatest voicemail you've ever heard. Those
0: boys, bro.
1: Thanks for listening.